Yeah, yeah. You travel blogging as well? No, well, me and my, my girlfriend, we got a, a page we set up on Instagram, so we're just starting it. But we've got, we're so busy with other stuff, but we're trying to get more more awareness around that. So, oh, nice. yeah, it just started that early this year. So, yeah. I hope you next year we have a bit more time. We could focus oh, on definitely. Well, what sort of destinations you got planned in terms of like... Gosh, we've, well, we met in Trinidad two, yeah. two and a half years ago. Yeah. And then from there, like, she lives in LA. So, I've been there a bunch of times, but we've been... This year, we, she was in London for five months. Oh, okay. So we went to Paris, because she'd never been there. Dublin, but I used to live in Ireland. So we went to oh, Paris, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day for Dublin, and then we went to Marrakesh in nice. April. Then we went to Barbados. No, we went to Berlin in May. Yeah, Berlin Berlin's Carnival. nice. Berlin, Berlin Carnival. You've been yeah, to Berlin yeah. Carnival? Not the Carnival, though, but I went to Berlin. Yeah. Berlin Carnival. Is it? It's, it's the one... Like when I heard Trini Trini's talking yeah. to me about Berlin Carnival, I knew it was certified. <laughs> I know when they have they, an Afro one there as well, but right, yeah, it's all around the same period. The Carnival cultures, oh, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Been two years running. I'm going again this year. It's oh, cheap. Amazing. I'm definitely gonna pop down the list. Then, yeah, yeah, definitely. My boys have been slacking recently in terms yeah. of like our holidays and stuff. But yeah. everyone's kind of like Berlin sitting down, and, and the weather's and pretty decent. Last two years, weather's been banging. Yeah. So yeah, we went there, and then we went to Barbados for Carnival. Yeah. For crop over, then. I went to Jamaica with my brother yeah. and then I went to LA to see her and then Vegas with my boys. Oh, amazing. And then we're going, I'm meeting her in New York after Kenya. Yeah. Where she's speaking at an event. And then... Oh, yeah. she like a motivational speaker? So, no, she's a celebrity personal trainer in oh, LA amazing. and then she's got her own company that um, gets visas for like artistic professionals yeah. and stuff like that. So, yeah, I should take this off in it, the, the buzz. Uh, no worries. Um, yeah, so that's what she's doing. Cool. Well, hey, good people, and welcome once again to Let's Do Humans. Um, today, I have a special guest here, and we're going to be touching on some of the work that he does in the community, especially based around sort of like South London and the wonderful work that he does with the kids around there. And we're going to talk a bit more about his career, his upbringing, and um, the future of his organization, which he currently runs with several business partners. So enough of my introduction. Sage, can you introduce yourself, and what is it that you do? So, um, full name is Sace Holmes Lewis. Yeah. Uh, I run a company called Mentivity, mm -hmm. which mentors young people through positive activities, sports, and education. Amazing. So, more of yeah. an emphasis on informal education, really. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, we started off in South East London. Oh, okay. Um, in Peckham. And, yeah, I've been doing that for the last two years and eight months. Oh, amazing. In terms of Mentivity. Um, but I've been working with young people since the age of 18. So, mm -hmm. I'll be 36 next in November, so it's 18 years I've been working with young oh, people. that's amazing. So, um, yeah, it's my way of giving back to the community that served me so well and mm -hmm. just helping to guide the next generation. But much. what is your motivation behind it? What was the purpose for setting up? Was it was it like sort of a singular event or was it something that you had long-term planned to take, take part in? To be honest, it's my life. It's my whole life, yeah. to be honest. I mean, I had a troubled childhood between the ages of 8 mm -hmm. and 14, uh, which coincided with my dad leaving the mm. household. Um, I was old. I'm the oldest of well, was the oldest of four at the time, mm. and it just put us in a lot of difficulty. Me, I was very confused, and you know, your dad is like your role model, your yeah. first role model, your first Superman, you Most know, like superhero. Yeah. And he left, and I just I was lost. I was just like blowing in the wind, pretty mm. much, and you know, I got mixed up in the wrong, you know, kind of situations and crowds from between eight and fourteen, um, and just literally, I just really struggled. Yeah, um, you know, if it wasn't for football and coming across a really prominent role model at the age of 14, mm -hmm. probably wouldn't be doing the things that I've, I've been doing, you know, over the course yeah. of my, my life. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the inspiration, but I've always 
you know, enjoyed giving back to young people. Mm-hmm. Um, come from a very giving family and something that, you know, that my mum kind of models in terms of giving to people yeah. and always being there for people. So this is kind of an extension of my family and kind mm-hmm. of the experiences that I, I had. And it's just giving that support to young people. That's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, you've already touched on something that I'd, I'd already sort of like pre-planned to um, talk to you about. And that's in regards to what happens to the home when a father leaves mm-hmm. and the impact that has on the child. Yeah. And you've already sort of admitted to yourself that when your dad did leave, it had an impact on your upbringing and what it, what is kind of like, what part took after your father left the house. Mm-hmm. So w- what was, what's the difference between having a father in the house and not having a father in the house? And how does that impact you? Or what do you think that impact has on other children who don't have their fathers in their lives? I think speaking from my personal experience, it it derailed me Mm. um, and it unsettled me massively. And for a number of years, I blamed my mum for for him leaving the household because he left pretty much unannounced. Mm. Uh, When he left, I was just very confused. So I was trying to, you know, sift through that confusion to find Mm. out why he'd actually left. I had this kind of image of my father from a young Mm. age that, you know, he was you know, the greatest man alive. Yeah, and yeah. He could do no wrong. But over time, I found out that he wasn't what he presented. Mm. And that was kind of the, the, the real struggle for me was actually kind of coming to terms with who he actually was, which mm-hmm. was that he wasn't a great father. Mm-hmm. And he didn't do what he needed to do in terms of mm-hmm. his children. He didn't serve, you know, my mom in the way that he should have as a man. And unfortunately, you know, if, because of that and him leaving, you know, after a while and realizing who he was, our relationship became quite strange. Yeah. So, you know, I still had him around me and, you know, he still had us around, but it wasn't really, any. he wasn't really investing any time mm. in us. Like, it was like he was just happy to have his tokenistic children there. Yeah. So for me, it, it, it caused me severe issues, you know, and if it wasn't for, you know, the role model I spoke about is a guy called Abdullah Ben Kamal, yeah. who set up a football club because his young brothers, you know, were at risk of kind of uh, gang culture and mm-hmm. kind of gang conscription. So he didn't want his brothers to follow his kind of, you know, lead in what he was kind of living and what yeah. he was going. So he set up the football to get a lot of young um, boys of the Glebe estate, you know, off the streets. Mm. And from there, he went to Red Lion and that's where I came across him, based in Surrey Keys. And literally, the guy just changed my life, you yeah. know, like through football, which was always my passion from a young age, you know, from eight, nine. You know, was it like the football was giving you like a form of discipline or a purpose within the community? You had something that you was doing that was keeping yeah. you away from yeah. what would what would else sidetracked you? Yeah, it was something yeah. tangible for me and something that mm. was achievable that I could go and play, enjoy. I loved the game mm. and I, I loved to learn. And when I went and played football, it was like nothing else mattered. I yeah. could be angry, I could be upset at my dad, whoever upset the world. When I go and play football on that pitch, mm might still be a bit you know yeah. angry and upset but, but you're I'm, venting in a I'm, different yeah, way though yeah. yeah yeah probably against the referees <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, like, yeah. i didn't like authority you <laughs> yeah. know so yeah for me it was it was key that i found something positive to focus on you know and even mm. though it was a sport it was a positive activity for me most definitely and i learned a lot informally you know how to be a leader over time and how to talk to people how to give information, you know, mm-hmm. and take information and execute that. Well, so, so this is all learned from playing football yeah. and partaking in the team sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I learned a lot, you know, like growing up, you know, the person I first saw playing football was visible to me and that, you know, forever stick in my memory and be my favourite player was Ian Wright. Yeah. And coming across him, I found out that my birthday was the same as him and oh, yeah. I actually wanted to be him, you know, yeah. I wanted to be a striker, yeah. score goals, I enjoyed doing <laughs> that. So, you know. Um, so yes, I am an Arsenal fan. Mm. Before you, before you ask. Well, well, li- likewise, and, and funny enough, you mentioned Ian Wright because Ian Wright is actually the reason why I started supporting Arsenal. Right. Because um, I grew up in Sweden, and um, yeah. being one of the only, well, I was only, I was the only black kid in my 
school at the time in yeah. primary school yeah. and um, watching the Premier League which everyone used to watch at the time it was either that or Italian football yeah. I, f- I found most of the players to be very boring yeah, in terms yeah, of yeah, like yeah. their yeah. mannerism and the way they yeah. carry themselves they didn't mm-hmm. have the same swagger that I was accustomed to exactly. within my culture yeah. so when Ian Wright came through I was like boy that's one of ours yeah, you know yeah, what I mean yeah, yeah. and it was undeniably yeah, one of ours yeah. and that's how I ended up supporting Arsenal as well so I'm a Guna fan and, so, right. yeah. <laughs> exactly precisely that and literally like he encapsulated the whole kind of energy of playing professional football for me yeah. he was just so vibrant he had such a, a great you know charisma like and that's what i loved mm. because he came into a room and came into the pitch you knew he was there Definitely. and he was doing something a lot different to yeah. the strikers at that time and although he didn't get that recognition from england like for me he was one of england's best strikers he was better than a lot of people at that time yeah scoring goals that no one was scoring you know mm. the types of goals he was scoring yeah, you weren't seeing. And yeah. for me, yeah, he was an inspiration for me. And he was the reason why I went to become a professional football player at mm. the age of you know, eight, nine. Uh, saw him first at Crystal Palace, but mm. you know, literally just followed into Arsenal and just been an Arsenal fan ever since. But, yeah. you know, he served as, you know, massive inspiration over the course of my lifetime, even to this day. You know, just watching him, how he is and how he interacts with people. You know, there's a lot of love to give, give smiling mm. and you know, kind of reminiscent of how I am with, with people in my community. So yeah. I've learned a lot through him. And, you know, going back to your question about, you know, the impacts of dads leaving for other children, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's just really unsettling. And it leaves, you know, young young people, not just, you know, young black males, but young people wondering why their dads left if they're yeah. not giving them, you know, what they need after they've left the household. And unfortunately, my dad didn't do that. He didn't mm. support us in the way that he should. You know, it was always a struggle just to get things from him, you know, yeah. things that we needed, you know, football boots and basic clothes. It was always a struggle and it was always like an excuse, you mm. know, as to why he couldn't do it or he wouldn't even respond like, oh, I see what I can do. Yeah. And he'd never get back to us. So, you know, for me, he taught me how not to be a father mm. in that respect and, you know, how not to be a man in certain areas. I mean, he's very, very talented. Mm-hmm. He's a musician. He has his, he had his own band from a young age and, you know, he was excellent at carpentry you know mm-hmm. he could build anything like he was just fantastic at that stuff so i learned some of those things from him but in terms of being a father myself now like i just wanted to be the total opposite of yeah, what he was definitely and just be totally involved you know, yeah. with my son and and the thing is sometimes we tend to like downplay the importance of having like that that sort of like that that family bond where where everyone's making themselves available to raise the children, yeah. having a mother and a father in the same place, and the importance that has on not just the mental state of the children, but yeah. it's also like just just their upbringing in general, yeah. and ensuring that you're instilling them with the strength and then the the economical support they require as well. Because a household with only one parent, you know, already you're struggling financially. Exactly. Because there's one one there's mm. one source of income that's already missing. Yeah. And that plays a major part in what's happening in our communities nowadays, which I'm sure you're huge. well aware of. Yeah. Huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, but how is the community receiving the project at the moment in terms of like the work that you're doing within um, S- South London? So you know, with Mentivity, it's been a blessing to be honest because I, I already had a great kind of. Uh, network of of contacts in mm. in southwark because of the work i did i worked for southwark council for southwark community games mm-hmm. which was a year-round sports program so i was yeah. one of the community uh, sports head coaches so we go to housing estates and mm-hmm. schools deliver that five-hour offer and go into housing estates in the evening had like an evening program okay. in in the areas of war from borough and bankside but also the other um community council areas but those were my two areas mm-hmm. so in terms of the schools networks and the people that i worked with because I was so professional in my, my, my approach to my work mm-hmm. and stuff. and Kept the relationships, you know, yeah. yeah. So literally, one, I went out on my own, 
you know, a lot of people that knew me from my work with Subic kind of knew, right, oh, Sace is doing something himself. Yeah. So they were kind of, you know, receptive to doing something with me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was... Is this the authorities or the locals? It was, it was pretty, pretty much the staff at the school, mm. pretty much. Um, I didn't, haven't really got much um, mm. support from, from you know, local government or anything like that. Mm. Um, you know, no funding from Intivity. We're a limited wow. company, so we don't depend on, on government funding. So it's also funded? Pretty much. So we go to yeah. schools. Um, I set up using my redundancy money after mm. my second redundancy. And um, I just decided, yep, yeah, this is the time. You know, mm. I had enough knowledge and, you know, know-how. And I just finished university the year before. Mm. So I studied youth and community work with sports development. So... I had a good understanding now of what my offer was mm. on paper, which was important. So, and before I couldn't really articulate what I wanted to do. Yeah, that's so always the issue, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So through the experience that I gained, you know, since the age of 18, working in people referring, it's, you know, mainstream schools, community sports coaches mm. for different, you know, organisations. I just realised that, right, this is my offer and this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to put down on paper. And then it's just literally snowballed ever since. It's just yeah. gathered momentum. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah, it's been been received, you know, amazingly well. But it's because it's it's a service that's centered for young people mm. and it's driven by what young people need. It's yeah. not adults forcing their agenda on young people saying, young Oh, people, I think yeah. you should do this yeah. or you should do that. No, I'm not trying to impart. Yeah. They're more inclined to take do. part in it if it's something that they genuinely want to do and yeah. take part. You yeah. can't sort of force them to do well, something. It's voluntary engagement. Yeah. And that's yeah, one of the first principles of youth work is that young people yeah. have to want to do something mm. and they want to effect positive change within within themselves. That has to come from within. Yeah. All you're doing is facilitating that and mm. giving them, you know, little bits of motivation, mm. you know, extrinsically from 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 my point of view. So yeah. That's what's key for it's, us. It's interesting you say that. So in terms of like the young people, so the, the ones that are kind of caught up in the so quote unquote violent um, uprising violence that's going on, what is it that they want? Like, why are they so feeling disenfranchised and they they, they they partaking on all of these supposed criminal activities? Like, what? It's a multifaceted. It's a multifaceted. You can't just pinpoint and say it's this, it's mm. this. First and foremost is that you know I'd hate to say it, deprivation, but there is a lack. Yeah. Of financial resources. Yeah, poverty is a big community. factor when yeah. it comes to like. So, yeah. you know, and like you said, you mentioned before about, you know, single parent households, mm. even when you have your mum and, and dad at home, mm. they're having to work now. Whereas back in the day when I was young, one of the parents could work and you could survive on that wage. Yeah. Now that's impossible. It's not going to happen. So you've got basically absent parents, mm. you know, even though their children live with them, you know, they might be working different shifts, whatever it may be. Children mm. are pretty much raising themselves, watching a lot of social media. And, you know, with the influence that social media has for young people with developing minds, that is a, a major issue. But, you know, for a lot of young people that are involved in, you know, criminal activity or gang culture, mm. it's because they want to feel accepted by someone in something. Mm. And, you know, again, some of them don't realise that, right, if I go into this, then I'm going to kind of mess up my life. Yeah. It's the excitement. You don't see the long term, do they? It's no, always no, sort of like this sh what, short term engagement. But what, what child yeah. does? No one does, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of adults that don't yeah. see the long term, you know, impact of, of things like that. But, you know, a lot of them are, are confused as to, you know, where they are in life. And it just seems like a family. You know, mm -hmm. it's reminiscent of a family. When you go into a gang, everyone presents that they're looking after each other. But when, mm -hmm. you know, it gets on top, they're then that's not. when you realize yeah. who. Is actually your real real friend so that's an issue for a lot of young people it is acceptance it is feeling good about themselves and being mm. accepted by their peers and society as a whole however once you get into that that lifestyle you start isolating yourself from certain 
areas you know mm. you can't go to certain areas yeah you can't speak yeah. to certain people that yeah. maybe your friends and you know with what's going on at the moment a lot of these guys that are you know beefing each other they went to school together mm. they know each other mm. but because of their postcode wars which you know I mentioned before they didn't they have to sort own. of like divide amongst themselves yeah, yeah. pretty much mm. and they're isolating themselves and then it becomes then borders on a mental health issue mm. because then you you are restricted in terms of what you can do yeah. it's like me and you being stuck in this room for for two months yeah one of us will lose our mind Most if definitely. not both yeah so imagine <laughs> i'm definitely going first <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah. essentially you're staying in the same area doing yeah. the same things it's going to have an effect on you like yeah. mentally so you know, a lot of this mm. is bordering on mental health as well. I mean, the mental side must be so significant, but it's it's kind of like an underlining because a lot of these kids have PTSD. Like, if you if you really look into it, they're going through what soldiers are going through pretty much. Yeah. There's, a, there's a war out Definitely. there where they're seeing their friends dying right yes. in front of them, like being butchered and, and, yeah. and stabbed up. And it's quite horrific when you look at it in depth. It is. And to think that it's children that are experiencing this. Imagine adults in war. We take care of them when they get back. Right. We realise that they have mental issues going on and it's, 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 it's at a wide scale. So how can we better take care of these kids' mental state? More services like Mentivity, and mm. I, I think everyone kind of working towards the same kind of ideals and mm. you know, same outcomes pretty much. Yeah. I mean, what I feel that we've had now over the last few years is that we have got a lot of organizations that are working independently rather than coming together. Mm -hmm. If you come together, you can achieve greater, you know, synergy, yeah, most definitely, and greater yeah. impact. But mm -hmm. everyone seems to be trying to do their own thing and try to prove to everybody that mm. they're the best in their field we're different you know we try to work with as, as many organizations as possible that are going to kind of enhance our offer for young people yeah and you know we're, i'm not fussed if another person set up another you know mentivity mm, so the more like, the better the yeah better, it'd be yeah. great like to be honest there's, no, there's enough schools in london mm. for everyone to be okay you know like mm. it's not about greed it's not about money for me like mm. yes i want to live i want to be able to enjoy myself mm -hmm. but Essentially, it's all about providing employment for people like myself in the community to, mm. you know, giving them that platform to be able to impact, you know, yeah. five, ten people over a course. But, but why is there a breakdown in support between the government and organisations like yourself? Because ideally, if they're seeing the work you're doing and the impact it's having, and there is results to show for it, mm. why are they not supporting it? Is there a case of you not finding the right people to contact, or they they they're ignoring funding for particular projects like this? To be honest, it's difficult to say, but you know, the government, when at times of recession, the first thing to go is always mm. the sports and yeah. the arts. And pre predominantly, those involved in sports and the arts, especially in, in the areas I'm working in, mm. are you know people of, of color. Mm. And those are the people that end up you know suffering because we don't have the financial resources to then continue that yeah. elsewhere. A lot of this stuff is funded. And you know, when young people don't have access to youth services or sports programs or whatever mm. it may be, they're going to turn to the streets. But mm. then you're then policing these same children and criminalising them because they're on the streets because they have nowhere else to go. Mm. So for me, the government has created this problem, but we can't be dependent on government. That's why, you know, Mentivity is a limited company. That's why I didn't wait for the charitable. Yeah. Because if I waited for charity, I wouldn't be anywhere. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be anywhere. I'm proving to my community that you can do things, mobilise and do this with, without waiting for others. Mm. And for me now, it is about acquiring funding to help us be a bit more kind of um how how do i say it? a little bit more secure yeah um but i don't want to be dependent on funding so then if the funding stops then mentivity is finished, finished that's yeah. not going to happen to us yeah. you know in terms of my model 
what we're trying to do is is acquire ambassadors for mentivity that mm -hmm. you know really identify with our work and you know hopefully if they're doing great things in their community like our first ambassador is javan wade mm. from you know mandem on the wall and he's really oh what did he come through your project yeah because no, i saw pictures of him on your website so or? he's actually related to to my business partner leon right oh, okay and Amazing. literally he just really took an interest to yeah. it and he's like i really like what you guys are doing yeah. uh, I'll, if you need help you know i'll come and talk or whatever it may mm. be and it kind of wasn't the right time for us and probably wasn't the right time for yeah. him but um, he came down to one of our schools at Wharf Academy earlier this year. And, mm. and, you know, after the release of the first Purge movie oh, yeah. and literally he was well received. Plus, obviously, his work with Man Them on the Wall and being oh, yeah. in EastEnders is quite well He's known. doing quite amazing stuff with um, Rap Man now as well, isn't yeah. he, for Shira's yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, again, it's just, you know, we're developing, he's developing. And it just it's a great partnership at the moment. Mm. So, you know, he, he's on board. But what we're trying to do is get more of those ambassadors and people that have come through you know, the work that I've been involved in yeah. to say, right, if you're doing quite well and you're financially all right and mm -hmm. you can offset a little bit of money yeah, here yeah. To, to mentivity, yeah. which will offset your taxes, then that will help us be a little bit more self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And if we can get a, a yearly pledge, then we know, right, we've got this 20 grand coming in from there, 10 yeah. grand coming from there. So it's actually then the community that's actually mobilising to make sure that this service doesn't go away. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I, my model of, of approach from mentivity because... And how do you measure your impact at the moment? So, because obviously if there's any funders out there who would be interested, mm. how would they know that the work you're doing and the service you're providing is having an impact in the community? So we do it a number of ways. Um, we do case studies, mm -hmm. which are, you know, the, the most common way within our, our field of work. But we also use the behaviour logs um, yeah. at the beginning of the programme and mm -hmm. we also do a questionnaire at the beginning. And, and from the behaviour logs and the attendance, we can kind of gauge whether they're engaging a little bit more within the school systems, um, whether they're getting a lot less mm -hmm. or more behaviour points. So we can always look at this every so often and say, right, you know what, mate, you're messing up. Yeah. You got sent out here. You yeah. were back. You were back. You were back chatting here. Your detention right. here. And there. But then, yeah, yeah. yeah, and then through that, what we do on a, a weekly session. So we have to do group work, which we call conversation-based learning, which mm -hmm. is learning informally, so informal mm -hmm. education. Or we do one-to-one -one sessions. So in the one-to-one -one sessions, it's literally the first question is, uh, what's gone well for you this week? Mm. The next one is, what hasn't gone so well for you this week? So, so they're kind of self-assessing. Yeah, so not what's gone wrong. It's yeah, what's yeah. not gone so well for you. Mm -hmm. So trying to keep it positive and write, what are your targets? How can you mm. be better this next week? And literally, they'll reel off the, you know, the positive stuff. And they were talking about, you know, right, I got sent out of class. I'm having trouble with this teacher, whatever it may be. Mm. And then it's just, then that's when we impart our knowledge and say, right, it's about managing relations. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, instead of being defiant in class and back chatting to teachers, when you go in after a weekend, your first class, go in and say hi to a teacher. Say, yeah. how was your weekend? And they're going to be like, uh, yeah. but they're going to, they're going to respond. You, you see the change in vibe, yeah. isn't it? But yeah. you're going to, yeah. they're going to say, well, mm -hmm. hey, I had a good weekend. Um, how was yours? And then mm. you speak and it's about building relations and, for me, that's like based on my own experiences that I struggled in school with some teachers. But when I went to university, I was a lot older. I was really kind of talking to a lot of my, my tutors, building yeah. friendships with them and yeah. relations with, with, with them because ultimately they're marking your... your, your yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So when they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. so he's pretty cool. <laughs> he's and cool, that's, yeah. yeah. So it's about playing the games, about mm -hmm. being smart and using your brain. And that's what we try to tell the young people and get them to understand that, mm -hmm. you know, this is reflective of what society is. You know, yeah. it's just a micro community in in a in a, in a secondary school or primary school mm -hmm. but in the wider world you're going to come across people you don't like what are you going to do scream and shout at them walk mm -hmm. out of class what are you going to do you're going to walk out of work 
and you're not going to do that. You're going to have to work through it. So you may as well get into it now mm-hmm. and start learning how to kind of manage yourself and manage relationships with people. And that's very, very important. So again, it's more informal, it's more holistical, uh, yeah. holistic kind of aspect of, of I think when working with younger younger, um, younger children, it's, mm. it's best to keep it informal because mm. that's the best way that they'll be receptive to you. Because yep. if you're coming in there with a full dossier and yeah. trying to break down things in, in the formal strategy, it's not really going to work. It yeah, doesn't you need work. To meet them at their level, pretty much. Pre- yeah. Precisely. And that's, that is the main principle of youth work. Mm. But it's also then building on that base of knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's saying to them that, right, what you're doing through mentivities that you're learning, you're, you're being open and receptive to the learning process. Mm-hmm. Rather than having a fixed mindset, you've got a growth mindset. Yeah. Saying, right, I'm not going to keep banging my head against a brick wall mm-hmm. and hoping for a different you know, outcome. It's going to hurt every time. So what can I do mm-hmm. to get around this obstacle? Yeah. And again, it's just getting them to think outside the box and equipping them with the tools to succeed you know, in you know, basic elements of life. And once you experience success in those basic elements, then you can build on that success because mm. success is addictive. Yeah. Everyone knows you achieve that, right, what's next? Yeah. All right, cool, what's next? Yeah. And that's what we're trying to get young people to understand is that you need to keep setting continual targets, experience success because a lot of them don't experience any success. Mm. Everything is failure. They go home, they're a failure. They go to school, they're a failure. Mm. Society tells them they're a failure. failure they go yeah. on social media, oh, look, you're dead. your trainers are dead. Mm. You're a failure. So... So the constant reaffirmation that you're a failure it has a detrimental yeah, effect on them. Yeah. I believe that you know young people are less resilient than you know people from my mm. my my that well, my childhood, and that's because they were we were sheltered from certain things. Yeah, and we were able to build that resilience. Yeah, most whereas, definitely. Whereas young people now they're just like right. Yeah, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep like it's very very hard. So yeah, it's important for them to continue to learn but learn in a sheltered manner yeah. rather than doing it, learning in an open forum. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel that they're doing now. Yeah. And, you know, they make one mistake, like you can end up dying. You know, you can end up That's the thing. Prison, yeah. Turn the different. wrong corner and then it's pretty much that's it. Yeah. We, yeah. we used to have fights and you fight someone yeah. and you see the next week, like, oh, you remember that fight? Yeah. Last week? yeah it was cool. Especially the playground yeah. runs yeah, back no. in the day. And then you're friends. Yeah. You end up yeah. being friends, but yeah. now they're stabbing people and they're yeah. dying and that's that, mm. you know? And, People don't fight anymore. But at what point did it turn so extreme, though? Because I remember in secondary school, you have a one-on-one with someone, and then the next day you're on the dinner line together, and everything's completely cool, like you were blessed again. But now it's gone to the extreme whereby the moment you start a fight, it just doesn't stop, and then it continues, and it's now becoming like a generational thing. Yeah. So it's like everyone's carrying on the, the, the beef of their predecessors, and it's just ridiculous. It's like a never-ending cycle, pretty much. Mm. So where did it turn so ugly, like? To be honest, I think it's, it was always going to be something that developed. I mean, this was happening when I was young. People were being mm. stabbed. Yeah, definitely. People yeah. were dying. People were getting shot. It just We just didn't have, you know, the mass media that we do now, mm. you know, and everyone can be a reporter nowadays, you know, mm. you know Snapchat, like, oh, yeah. look at this fight, you know, yeah. World Star and all that yeah. stuff. So, so it makes me, it seem worse, yeah. Again, yeah. yeah, it's, you know, we're in the YouTube age now where everything is documented mm. and, you know, like young people are now, rather than having beef and only a few people knowing about it, Everyone knows Everyone about knows it. So it, you're yeah. safe. You're trying to save face. You're trying to be like, you know what? I'm about this life. Mm. But re- you know, in reality, you're not. A mm. lot of these young people, you know, we call them paper gangsters. Like when it mm. rains, you guys are gonna just, you know, fall apart. Yeah. Like, you're pretending to be somebody that you're not, and you're trying to keep up with the Joneses because that's what children do. Mm. And so you they're know, succumbing to the pressure of their surroundings, and then it's forcing them to do stuff that naturally is not in them to do anyway. Precisely. So, so yeah. you know, you walk with a knife and you, you do it for protection, which a lot of young people do. And then you get into a situation mm. and you bring out that knife and before you, 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 you realise, you subconsciously, do with it, you've yeah. done something, yeah. you've stabbed someone, you're like, oh, and that's it. And then you're in it now. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's no real turning back from that because yeah. you've, 
you've hurt another human being who's now if they don't survive they're going to be after you mm -hmm. and that's the problem is that you know young people are not understanding that the little actions that they're making decisions that they're making are becoming bigger and bigger decisions yeah. decisions down the line and it becomes to a point where they can't get out of it and then when you talk about grooming and you know these olders and bringing them into you know the whole gang lifestyle like giving them money and mm. oh, i'm gonna buy you food so exploiting like them. them to yeah, do yeah, their yeah, work yeah, for yeah. them yeah yeah because they know that they can't you know go to prison like them you know they mm. won't they'll just get slapped on the wrist pretty much and yeah that's what the problem is but because we're such a capitalist society mm -hmm. you know it's driven by money this is where we've gone so far away from our principles going yeah. back to the family unit like everyone's out everyone's doing their thing independently you have dinner and someone's in their room someone's eating at the table yeah. you know when i was growing up dinner time was dinner time sit together family, yeah. oh how yeah. was your day how was there was discipline and structure to it and i think that's what people forget the importance of because that discipline mm. and structure sort of like the basics of having dinner together mm. is it's actually life lessons mm -hmm. that you take on yeah, like yeah, yeah. in the outside world as well yeah, so yeah it, definitely it teaches you something that it's, it's kind of being lost with all the young people at the moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not, you know, young people are, are growing up in a world that was created by the adults before them. Mm. So they can't be blamed for everything that's going on in society. Yes, yeah. they can be held accountable for their, their actions if they're stabbing and shooting people. I get that. However, some of these young people are funneled into this lifestyle because of what's happened before them. You spoke about parents. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to someone earlier, a teacher earlier. He said, you know what? I just think it's not just the parents, but we've gone so far away and this is a white teacher mm. he said i think that the black community have gone so away from uh, far away from their principles mm -hmm. in terms of discipline and respect that this is why you're having a lot of these issues now yeah and i was like look you're spot on yeah i couldn't even it's it's, it's funny you said yeah. you had a um, conversation with a white person because i've had a similar conversation yeah. and they, they they were telling me about the Windrush generation when they first came over they said the family was was very close-knit and they mm -hmm. were they were the model for what a good family was mm -hmm. they had they had good moral character yeah. like the way they were dressed the way they carried themselves the way the family unit mm -hmm. was and this gentleman was this gentleman in particular was telling me that when that family unit broke down we went from being the model of family to no don't be like them mm. they they're a complete disaster look mm. what's happening to their culture look what's happening to their people mm. and when you look into it, it's kind of difficult to pinpoint exactly where this moment happened, but a, a lot of my research have taken me into the whole um, welfare system mm -hmm. and how we allowed the welfare system to become the husband and the dad of the family. Mm -hmm. And then now men are becoming sort of like... Obsolete. They're becoming obsolete. Mm -hmm. So you, you, don't need to, you, don't, you don't need a man around in order to run the family in essence. And at the same time, the government is now saying, we're going to take care of your family. Mm. But the government is not going to come into your household and discipline your child. Mm. The government is not going to come into your household whilst you're at work and keep an eye out on your child and mm. preventing them from stepping out into the estate and getting involved with the wrong people. So mm -hmm. it's like there's a chain of things. And it's, it's sad to see or sad to hear when elders are telling you that we used to be the model for what a good family household mm, was. Mm. And it's the same thing in America as well when you do the research, like just doing the Jim Crow laws and after mm -hmm. Jim Crow laws, 75% of black families um, were were complete unit. Mm -hmm. But then after the welfare system, it went down to what, 30, yeah. possibly 25 now, I don't yeah. know the exact yeah. figures, but yeah. it, it does have an impact because mm -hmm. then there's no accountability within yep. the community. Mm -hmm. There's no shame culture that, mm -hmm. that puts people down for doing the wrong things yeah. and that is a major part what i see is 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 happening right now which is destroying our communities because mm. we, we don't seem to have a shame culture for a lot of things yeah which we should have no we should yeah. but i think that we're destroying ourselves through lack of informed kind of education yeah. in, in that respect and kind of being receptive to being you know 
open to trying different things. Like, literally, like, I could have followed my dad's, you know, mm. whole model of being a father because that's what he showed me. Yeah. But it came a time that when I knew I was having my son and I, I, I promised to him, I said, you know what, I whispered to him, he was like a week old. Mm. I said, I'm never going to let you down. Mm. I'm always going to be here for you no matter what. And I, mm. I don't live with my son. Mm. You know, he lives with his mum. You know, unfortunately, things didn't work out between me and his mum mm. from a very early age. Yeah. You know, he wasn't, he was very young. Um, however, I've always been there mm. and I've always made that effort because he is my son. Yeah, most And I think, yeah. again, that's a, a, a kind of critical consciousness. You're making a conscious decision to say, right, mm. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to do what's morally right. He didn't ask to be here. That's my son. I mm. have to do my best for him. And dis despite it being difficult over the times in terms of access and maybe seeing him, I had to be consistent. I yeah. had to think about the long game that, you know, going coming down the line, he may feel like me at, you know, eight, nine, ten. Mm. I have to be around and tell that story and let him know that I've been consistently here. We've built that relationship. And it's important, you know, especially as a young black male, that his father's around because we know what yeah. happens to some, you know, that don't have their father around a large majority if, well, if you look yeah, at yeah. if you look at the literature and the statistics yeah in yeah, terms yeah. of like what happens yeah yeah, yeah but i just didn't want to be that kind of father so again i think that we can blame exterior factors mm. but we also got to look within ourselves and Most say you definitely. know what we have to improve I, i'm a big believer in accountability mm -hmm. and i think until we we become accountable for ourselves for our community for our people and for the, our wrongdoings it's going to be very hard for us to make change because mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that we accept that I don't think are acceptable. Mm -hmm. And if you look in other cultures, there's a lot that they wouldn't accept, which yeah. we just take as the norm. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that we don't in, when we're when we're indulging in it, we sometimes forget to see the impact that it's having on our communities. Mm -hmm. But when when it starts bearing fruit and we start seeing the bodies and and and, and the violence and the mm -hmm. failures and the economic failures mm -hmm. and everything else, th those are the reasons why, because we let a lot slip. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to go into the details as in what we let slip and mm -hmm. stuff because I'm not well rehearsed in all the all the statistics, mm -hmm. but we do accept a lot within the community, which I don't feel is right. Well, you know I mean? I, I'll, I'll tell you one such example mm. is this whole, we don't snitch, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, yeah. now, the thing is, no one wants to be a snitch mm. until something happens to someone in their family. Yeah, and then it's completely changed. Then you and then it's like, well, yeah, no, I had to talk to the police or, or mm. you know, and this is the whole thing, like, you know, talking about Raheem now, obviously mm -hmm. Raheem's death in, in May, like, there's no CCTV footage, there's, you know, there were eyewitnesses there, mm -hmm. but no one wants to talk to the police. Yeah. And unfortunately, that is one of one such aspect of our culture that we need to get rid of. Yeah. And unfortunately, like, because we're not policing ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we were policing ourselves, I'd understand. But and I think that's what, the, uh, sorry to cut you off there, I think what, what a lot of people forget about the whole no snitching stuff, it came about when we were under extreme brutality from the police and the system. Right. And that's why we had to have that um, community cohesion where we yeah. did not snitch because yeah. they were against us at the time. Right. But it's not like that anymore. That's well, it's slightly different. It's not as it's, extreme, but it's yeah, still it's, it's not to that extreme. Yeah, 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 it's not yeah. to that extreme where we had to like have that like sealed lip within the community. Mm -hmm. But now we're kind of doing it to the detriment of ourselves yeah. and to our children and yeah. the people who are suffering because yeah. of this these type of rules. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and again, so you know, we're not really helping ourselves in the, in that matter. Mm. And again, no one's coming out and being like, you know what, maybe we need to. We evaluate, evaluate this, but then on the other hand, if you do that, then you know that people are going to try and hurt you mm. in this day and age. And so it's a fine balance. It's very, very difficult. Mm. Um, but 
Yeah, we, we need to help ourselves. How, how do we come out of that, though? Like, how do we re-educate ourselves or reprogram the mind to come out of systems like that? Because it, it's something I'm constantly having debates and talks about with friends in terms of, like, how do you change such a large and such an influential community mm. and culture? Like, you can't just do it overnight. So it has to be a generational thing. But what are the steps we take? Because you can't when you're under so much pressure to not, do you know what I mean, mm-hmm. to not conform. Mm-hmm. For me, it's working with young people. Yeah, they're, they're what's coming next. Mm. They're the next generation. They're going to be here after we're we're, we're dead and gone. Yeah. And for me, it's equipping them <laughs> with that kind of critical, you know, analysis of right. We're not, mm. you know, doing well in this situation. Rather than me follow what I've seen, let me try something else. Yeah. And again, it's going back to that whole fixed mindset, growth mindset thing. It's it's going giving young people those tools to be able to be like, right, mm. I'm going to look at this side. I'm going to look at this side. Right, now I'm going to make my decision. This is what I'm going to do. And mm. I think we're too impulsive as people sometimes. And we've had to do that because of the way that, you know, social conditioning. We've had yeah. to be very impulsive. We don't really plan ahead, mm. you know. Um, and that's an issue. So, again, it goes back to young people. That's why I work, you know, so hard with young people and give my all because I know that they could be, they could make the change one day. No, one of these, these children could make such mm. a significant change. And, you know, if I was, you know, one of the people, one of my team at Mentivity to switch that, that light on in their head mm-hmm. to be going to greater things, you know, yeah. like, and it doesn't even have to be greater things. It could just be literally not going to prison, yeah. you know, not being in a gang. It's, it's, you know, in some areas, that's a massive achievement. Right, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. you never know what you're going to uncover. And I feel that, you know, it's important because that happened to me and mm-hmm. I never kind of envisaged that I would be doing what I'm doing today. You know, all mm-hmm. I wanted to be was a professional football player. Mm-hmm. And... I think I probably limited myself, even though yeah. I did it, you know, but I didn't have the career that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So then I, I kind of had to step back and think, right, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And then it was no long-term plan. Like I said, I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. So I've actually gone back to the drawing board and started working with young people in a sport that I enjoyed, yeah. which is football. Yeah. And then from that, everything has come. Mm. All, everything so in my life. Unveil yourself. Yeah. yeah. So again, that's why I think it's important to, to just find your passion and follow your passion. Mm you know, persevere no matter what and be dedicated to it. And that is what I've done, you know, Amazing. in terms of, you know, football, you know, I've got my own football club with my brother, yeah. the City of London FC, you know, we started off five years ago and also Leon Wright, our business partner, is one of the coaches as well mm. and the founding members. But we started off with five children like five years ago. We've now got 11 teams oh, wow. playing down at Market Road, yeah. you know, in the Camden and isn't in Youth League. So again, it's just staying true to what we enjoy and what we love. Mm-hmm. and from that other things that came out and just taking the lead and setting up mentality mm-hmm. and I think showcasing that to young people is so important you know I'm 35 I've had my own business nearly three years now mm-hmm. and for me that's quite massive considering where I grew up in the yeah, Ellsbury Estate that's a, that's a great you know, achievement and yeah. you know we have 10 employees again no government funding and we have to tell young people this mm. you know our company is turning over six figures now and it's important to tell it them It shows this. them that work ethic as yeah. well, isn't it? So they, they can do it coming from the same surroundings yeah, you're from. Yeah. So. But for me, the, the greatest joy, as well as providing the service for young people, is providing employment opportunities for, for people within my community that mm. share the same passion. Yeah. And that, you know, we're, we're not bound by working for a charity and their ideals. And, you know, this has been mm. set out by, by myself, by Tyson, by Leon, mm. his whole model. And, you know, we're showcasing it to them. And they're now 
taking it in different ways and it's just mm. having those like-minded people is around. making it more entrepreneurial you find them yeah for yeah. sure for sure mm. everyone yeah because everyone is basically self-employed mm. so they don't work for me you know i'm not their boss i don't refer to myself as a boss or anything mm. like that like, they work for mentivity they work for the community now so i mean like they the young the young children yeah. that you work with yeah like yeah, them yeah. seeing what you're doing yeah. in terms of like carrying out your own businesses and making them more entrepreneurial yeah yeah i mean yeah. that's what we, that's what we're, we're encouraging them to do and and that, mm. the reason why i said because some of our, our mentors are like 21 oh wow they're very yeah. young but they showcase you know certain kind of aspects mm. and i'm like yeah these guys will add to mentality add up to our offer yeah and that's what's been important but that's what we're encouraging a lot of young people to do. Like that's in amazing. this day and age, you have to work for yourself. Yeah. If you can do it in your your, your field of interest, then do it. Mm-hmm. And that's why we we are so focused on signposting young people to their passions. You know, if they want to do music, right? We're gonna find somewhere for you to go and do music production. Mm-hmm. I know this person. So we've got quite a vast network of people that are doing yeah. really positive things. So we're just trying to get them into what they want. You know, we're working with Year Tens at Wolf Academy now, and they're doing um, work experience coming mm-hmm. up. Some of them had no clue. Sitting there today with them, they had no clue. <laughs> but the thing is that all the information was given to them. Yeah. But because it was like a f- eight pages, I'm like, yeah. you don't want to read. They don't want to read. No, it. that's not. So I, I wouldn't like, even want to read eight pages. But, I know, yeah, but I'm like, this is uh, your future. If yeah, you don't want definitely. to invest in yourself. Mm. How are you going to experience any kind mm. of success? And no one's going to do it for you. No. So, so yeah. it, it's then saying to them, right? So imagine you want to buy a house, mm. okay, and you've got a savings account, and you don't put any money in there, mm. and then five years down the line, you mm. expect to buy a house? Yeah. No. You have yeah. to put money in it. You have yeah. to be working hard. You have to be disciplined. Yeah, yeah, so you have to work towards a goal. Mm. You guys are not investing any time in yourself, but you're expecting to be paid. Mm. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Doesn't make sense at all. So, you know, you get out what you put in. And, you know, we showcase that through some of our conversation-based learning sessions, like how hard do you work, you know, the importance of having a work ethic. Mm-hmm. And what we've done is detailed my jobs and Tyson's jobs since the age of 13. Yeah. I've been working since the age of 13. Oh, wow. I was cleaning a nightclub on Old Kent Road yeah. yeah, at the age of 13, getting yeah. £33 between me, my brothers, um, and my two brothers, Ramon and Tyson, yeah. sharing £11 each, but doing that four times a week. That's some serious work ethic there. Trust, and yeah. you know, going into yeah. the toilets. It's and, the making you know, of a man though, isn't it? But that's <laughs> yeah. what I'm, you know, and yeah. you know, our mum gave us that opportunity, but I've always been personally been able to make money and, and mm. like I would go to school and I will buy the straws at the bakery, which are one p. Yeah. I'll go and buy five uh, five pounds worth. It's yeah. five hundred. Getting to school, I sell them for, up for two p yeah. in the morning. Afternoon yeah. is three pence. Yeah. So I'm you know I'm doubling and tripling my <laughs> yeah. money, and literally from that I'll buy people's dinner tickets. Yeah. I'd sell mine for one pound, and I'll buy another one for fifty. Yeah, you know about it, man. So <laughs> yeah, so I would do things like that. Yeah. So I've always had that, and always mm. been able to talk to people. So this is kind of an extension of of who I am, and mm. you know being able to sell, you know a service to people I've yeah. always sold things and you know tried to be kind of one of those guys but mm. you know it's important so now using that plus of all the you know professional you know development yeah, I've merging the two time, together yeah. now when I go in I'm sitting down with head teachers and I'm talking to them about my service mm. I can sell it to them effectively Most you know and I can look at it from a different you know point of view and I didn't have that you know I had to learn that over time mm. and I didn't have that kind of you know these traits and I wasn't aware of these traits at a young age, at 20. I, yeah. I was still a boy. Yeah. I don't think that I became a man until probably my late 20s. Most definitely, likewise. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And again, you look at your other counterparts from different backgrounds. 
they're like they're men at twenty. Yeah, yeah. they're twenty one, yeah. but they've got that base of knowledge and that foundation mm-hmm. of knowledge because they're probably a little bit further ahead, and their mm-hmm. parents are giving them that information mm-hmm. that we didn't have access to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really really important. And again, it goes back to why this work is so important for me. Yeah. You know, working with year elevens, looking at financial literacy, looking at taxes looking about working part-time because these are the things that the school system doesn't really give us does it because yeah. i mean simple things like understanding credit and like That's banking one, exactly and, that and just the basics of it. i didn't have a clue until like my mid late 20s no clue. it's only when i f- when i first decided okay well not when i decided but when i reached the point where i could actually afford to buy a place mm. I, I was told oh now i need to check my credit score only then to find out that i had a massive red mark on my credit which mm-hmm. was about to disappear in a year or two's time but mm. prior to that i didn't have a clue right and these are the things that the school system completely leaves out of his curriculum so unless we're being taught these things and unless there's projects like the ones you're running yourself mm. out there educating us from young mm-hmm. it, it then makes it easier for us to prepare and set ourselves up for the future so that's that's really essential but um one thing i wanted to touch on is like how do we go about educating the parents as well so um first thing is how do we educate them in terms of protecting their children from from falling wayward and then also giving them the tools for them to educate their children in getting to find out about projects like yours like how would they come across something like what you do i mean first and foremost another facet of our program is that we incorporate home visits so the school will pay us a certain amount of money and in in in, um based on what they pay us and it's a standardized rate we go and do Mm. home visits if needed but we give a call to parents we'll say here's my car take Mm -hmm. one to your parents let them give me a call so i can explain to you to them this is after identifying the the children yeah so the school will be referred yeah refer them and they'll be like right hi my name is says from nativity blah 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 I'm here to support your child, here to mm-hmm. support you guys. If you need any help, give me a shout. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, a lot of parents, you know, they're a bit standoffish at first. They're like, oh, he doesn't need a mentor. He doesn't need support. Yeah, my child is all right. Yeah, my yeah, child, yeah. And those, child those good, are the ones yeah. that have the, the most problematic children. Mm-hmm. But again, it's breaking that barrier and saying, look, I am a mentor, but I'm not attached to the school. I'm the middle ground. I'm your middle ground and your kind of contact between, you know, yourself, mm-hmm. your child and the school. Yeah. So kind of, you know, triangulated support kind of in that respect that we're in the center mm. but we you know bridging that gap saying right you know what to the school he's having this sort of issue at home his parents um have just split up mm. or his grandparents just died or whatever it may be or he's really struggling mm-hmm. with this and again it's making them aware because teachers and you know staff at school don't really understand some of the the obstacles that young people face yeah. just getting into school at 8 yeah. 15 8 30 in the morning you know, they may have encountered about five different obstacles. Mm-hmm. You know, some young people are young carers. You know, they're caring for their parents and they get into school late mm. and they've done everything they possibly can to get to school on time and they get to school and they get in detention. Mm. No, no, they can't even like, well, um, and yeah. their day's just messed up for the yeah. rest of the day. So literally it's making the school aware, but also making the children aware that the school are going to be doing that. You know what? They're looking to permanently exclude you. Mm. If you don't fix up, then you're going to be gone. And once you go, going to a pupil referral unit from there you're going to get into a gang that's it you're stuck in the system and that's it yeah. and, and you know it's the same story we've seen over and over again mm-hmm. and again it's not just restricted to young black males like you know the Irish community in Bermondsey like a lot of you know the mm-hmm. Irish boys end up in pupil referral units because mm-hmm. they've already got ready made jobs you know they go in the scaffolding and yeah, do that stuff for that yeah. like, what I need school for yeah. I can make 200 pound a day now mm-hmm. you know I'm 15 so or I'm going to go and join the army or whatever but, but that's the family that set that up though so that's, again, that's the stage that we need to get to again, whereby there is that 
community or family structure for us to go into mm-hmm. um, other vocations. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, totally, I totally agree with you. But mm. yeah, it comes back down to you know supporting each other and mm. again investing in each other's businesses, mm. and that's another another key thing. But for me now, obviously being a business owner and having two businesses now, like I understand how important it is to support other people's businesses, whether it's you know airplay and promoting it or mm-hmm. just liking it on instagram yeah, or sharing it yeah. you know it's hugely and massively important and i feel that now we have we have an opportunity now you know mm-hmm. we've got youtube we've got instagram yeah this is free advertising now mm-hmm. pretty much so you can you can get out there and for me it's been, it's the right time for mentivity we've you know we've honed our whole offer and you know we're in a really good place now and obviously taking part in the, in the panorama and you know the sky news documentary now mm-hmm. and obviously that such as this this yeah. is really very important to me um to kind of get out there and speak about the work because mm-hmm. i think that we're solidified within the community now mm. you know we're, we're in 15 schools across london oh, that's amazing we're as far yeah. away as edenbridge and kent croydon oh, wow. bromley tower hamlets we're in wood green yeah it's called in wood green you know so it's, it's valued mm. and you know and it's it's there's a need for it and mm. we're going to continue to be there for as long as, as as you know as as we can and for us our ultimate aim is to have our own school one day okay so i'm planning to have that within the next two years what sort of school would that be that secondary or primary so it's probably be primary to start off with yeah. so just starting off earlier um and then obviously progressing to secondary but mm-hmm. i want it to be kind of you know in formal education alongside formal yeah so using that kind of the, the the philosophy of mentivity alongside formal education. So is that merging like life skills with the um, educational Pretty curriculum? Pretty much, to, yeah. to, to give us much, you know, better well-rounded young people mm-hmm. who are equipped for the world, you know, because education hasn't changed in 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. But the world has changed massively in yeah. the last 10 alone. And each individual is different as well when you look right. at the education system because we're all kind of being, we're all kind of being taught the same way when not everyone soaks up or digest information. It's all standardised. You're just, yeah, you're just taught to go and work in an office basically pretty much. and just follow yeah. instructions. And unfortunately, if that was the case and we were all like that, the world would be a very boring place. Yeah. You know, we wouldn't have such a, you know, great people that have come mm-hmm. across in our times and we need to have the freedom of expression. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to take that away from young people because their imaginations are fantastic. Yeah. You know, and as we get older, that is something that dwindles in adults and, mm-hmm. you know, that takes away, you know, a we get massive, caught up in the system. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you want to, you want to dream, you want to yeah. go and be like, you know, I'm going to travel. I'm mm-hmm. going to do this one day. I don't want to be bound mm. by rules and that's always me. I yeah. never want to be bound by rules but no, I likewise. have to adhere to certain rules mm. in order to have a, you know, a nice life. Yeah. I can't drive a, a hundred miles an hour in a 20. No, no, zone, definitely not. You know what I no, mean? But yeah. I've got to, you know, I want to do certain things. I want to mm. break the mold and, you know, it's just weird like, especially after the last couple of weeks of the airing of the documentary, just mm. people, you know, hitting me up like just randomly on Facebook Messenger, yeah. Instagram, Snapchat and it's just been amazing because I'm realizing that people value this type of work most definitely, and and that's yeah. you know a further incentive, yeah. even though I didn't need it. Yeah, and that's one of my reasons for inviting you here yeah. because people value that work, but it's then to it's it's then putting the work in front of people for them to notice it in the first mm. place because there's so many other people out there that are yet to hear about you, yeah. or yet to hear about the work that you do, I know, I know. and that's why we constantly need to reaffirm it, constantly need to be pushing it out there because yeah. there's there's so many other negative forces fighting against us, but we're not necessarily pushing all the positive stuff to the forefront, which Precisely. we need to be doing more of. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, what, one question I was going to ask you is, what, what do you think is the government's role in society and in regards to communities? To be honest, I feel like it's gonna. It, it's always goes. It swings and roundabouts. To be honest, I think it goes full circle. Um, 
obviously with the the coalition government and the conservative government they're all about free market capitalism yeah. you know then we go to labor who are about you know social outcomes and yeah. investing heavily in the public services mm -hmm. and stuff and again it depends which government is in is in power but mm -hmm. you know we're looking at conservative now and i think the country's a mess yeah it's a mess i mean <laughs> it's opportunities yeah but you know with the lack of support for young people which now the money's coming back slowly yeah you know everyone wants to you know at the end of the spectrum throw money at it and say oh we've got to get more police and this and that but it goes beyond that and it i goes don't way think, beyond that yeah yeah i think that the government you know this has been a problem of, of of their own doing um again we have to have a fine balance between you know spending you know money in public services but also mm. allowing those that, like such as myself, you know, I have my own business yeah, now. Yeah, to thrive, to yeah, and to be entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. so again, mm -hmm. it's, it's a fine balance, but it's the government has to take responsibility, but they've got to stop with this whole top-down approach. Yeah. Top-down approaches for social issues and community issues doesn't work. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. You need people like myself on the ground mm -hmm. that know the solutions, know how to work with young people, and can offer, you know, the support to young people that they need, which mm -hmm. is tailor-made. We can't have standardized support, yeah. you know, for, for all the young people that we work with. It's different relationships with different but, people. But would you say um, the government is at fault for what's currently happening or what's been happening? They're, they're to blame. So the, the, reason, um, the reason I asked is because I, um, I was speaking to a couple of young people in regards to who they think is responsible for what's going on within their communities and stuff. And majority of them, and I know they're not really that well informed because young people just tend to repeat whatever, whatever mm -hmm. they hear. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Majority of them were saying, oh, it's the government, it's the government, it's the government. And I asked them, why would they say the government? Like, why are they pointing the finger at the government? Like, do they know exactly what government mm -hmm. does and in terms of society, mm -hmm. and in terms of, like, um, being sort of like the, a, a unbiased umpire to society mm -hmm. and enforcing laws and stuff like that? Like, how, what are some of the things that the government have done for it to reach a stage where a, a, a child will grab a knife and stab another child? So I, I tried to then break it down to them the best I could in terms of how, like, I mean, um, lack of funding and lack of opportunities and so forth then trickles down because mm -hmm. poverty causes violence. Mm -hmm. Well, not necessarily poverty. I think it's more, um, it's more, what's the word? What's the word? It's more relative poverty because mm -hmm. I've read a quite a bit of literature in terms of like how poverty affects um, people violently. And um, if you live in an area where everyone's got two pounds, mm -hmm. There's not going to be that much violence. There will be robberies, but it's not equality. It's equality. It's, it's it's when there's relative poverty. It's when you're living on the same road with two guys driving a Ferrari, but then on the, just around the corner, there's a family that can't afford to buy milk, mm -hmm. and that is the major issue. That mm -hmm. lack of equality, and that's why I tried to explain to them mm -hmm. is is um, it's, it's relative poverty that mm -hmm. causes more sort of like violent measures. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to sort of have, have your take on it because you work directly with young people and and just explaining a bit about your understanding as to the government's role in society and how they should be accountable for some and then the government should be accountable for other segments, not for the whole whole, whole thing, if that makes sense. Mm. I feel that the yeah. government are, are to blame to a certain extent. However, mm. we have to blame ourselves because we keep putting the same two parties in power. Yeah. So if everyone refused to vote for Labour or Conservative, mm. those are not our only options. Mm. We've been led to believe that that's our only option and we continue yeah. to do the same cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically, you know, it's delusional. Like we're, yeah. we're, we're banging our head against a brick wall, mm -hmm. saying, "Oh, this government, this and that," and it's still hurting. Yeah, you know, whichever government we, someone's going to complain.
but we haven't got that that balance yet, and we mm-hmm. haven't understood that this whole two party system, even though you know we had the coalition, it doesn't work. Yeah. And so for for us as a community, we have to start thinking a bit more, you know, you know, critically. Like, right, we don't have to vote for this, mm-hmm. this, this, um, you know, Labour or Conservatives or Lib Dems. Let's kind of mobilise ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I feel that we are to blame also, yeah. and also as a community. You know, we've allowed ourselves to go so far away from our principles, as mentioned before, but and then we still complain. Mm-hmm. Like we're not putting that work into our young people. We're not putting that work into ourselves. Yeah. And for me, you, you can you can keep pointing and saying yeah, mm. but ultimately you got it comes back to you personally. If on that same road, if those people that are driving Ferraris decide, mm-hmm. you know what, I don't need a Ferrari. Those kids are out here doing nothing. Let's just give them some money for a football or a football mm. kit. Those little things, you know, work, but everyone is so for self now. Most it's such a yeah. capitalist outlook that we're just now forgetting about the human aspects of people. Mm-hmm. That, you know, if someone is down the road and you can see them struggling and you don't help out, mm-hmm. what kind of person are you? Yeah. You know, and if you're aware of something and you do nothing, that is the worst, mm. you know, kind of person. Yeah. That, you know, if you can help, you should help. It's like you're participating in it yeah. in, in, in a way or form. Yeah. So um, I just feel that, you know, we can continue to point fingers at the government. Like, as I said, mm-hmm. I didn't want to wait for donations to set up my you business. You done it, yeah. Because I would not be where I am today, mm-hmm. you know, with the company. We had to go through some hard times. We had to worry where <laughs> our next meals were. I had to move out <laughs> of happens. my house. <laughs> I had happens. to move out of my house, stay yeah. with my grand. I had to sell my nice car, yeah. you know, and downgrade for yeah. me. Get You know, I was just like, oh, man. But these are sacrifices I need to make, mm-hmm. not just for me. Obviously, I've got my son, I've got to provide for him, but mm-hmm. also for my community. And it wasn't an issue yeah. for me to do that because I know there's a greater need based on what I went through, what mm-hmm. I've experienced. And so you saw the long-term positiveness to it yeah, as well. So you know, it was sort of like short-term gains. Other yeah. opportunities that will arise out of this. You know, everyone wants to live good. Everyone mm-hmm. wants to enjoy it. Yeah. But for me, I always knew from a young age that I would always be able to make money and I will, I will have a good life. Mm-hmm but I have to do what I love. And that was just, I, I just understood that for whatever reason. Yeah. I had to go through things that I didn't want to do, mm-hmm. go through jobs I didn't want to do. You know, when I break mm. it down to young people and tell them I've had you know, in excess of 44 different roles, yeah. you know, since the age of 13, <laughs> yeah. jobs, they're like, what? They don't get it. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I worked in a, in a, in a silver service restaurant. Yeah. I was a silver service waiter, yeah. you know, in Bloomsbury. You know, waiting on people in a waistcoat, standing there, yeah. left all that stuff. Like but that, everything's you know? so glamorized that if you tell someone that sometimes you need to take a couple of steps back in order to balance, they just don't get it. They, they, they that level of pride and 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 sort of the glamorized lifestyles that we see nowadays mm-hmm. is preventing is preventing the grind. But it's only you only see that glamorized lifestyle because people allow you to see it. They oh yeah, definitely. Show you, they oh, don't yeah. show you the journey to get to that. No, they don't. And that's yeah. what people are forgetting. Mm. Like I don't, I, I call it microwave culture. Mm. Everyone just wants to get rich quick. They put whatever it is, their dreams in the oven, one minute, bing, yeah. oh, I've made it. Yeah. No, it doesn't go like that. Yeah. And you, if you it doesn't happen that quick, then they kind of like delve into like depression and listen, whatnot. Yeah. Listen, I gave my all to play professional football. Mm. Gave my absolute all. Had a bad agent. Um, bad injuries mm. and literally it just didn't w- didn't work out for me mm. I gave 2000% to that yeah. you know and it just didn't work out because mm. it wasn't meant to be mm. however you, what we try to tell young people and even you know adults is that you've got to work towards something that you're passionate about even if you don't get there mm. there's going to be other opportunities that come up because yeah. of that yeah. and that is basitely what's happened like me my, my motto I always give things a go mm-hmm. no I definitely it's likewise, children, yeah. give it a go 
give it a go. Mm. I was asked to do a, a keynote speech in Canada about my work in 2014. Mm. I've never delivered a keynote speech in my life. Yeah. 250 people. Oh, wow. I didn't know what I was doing. I went out there. I was so scared. Yeah. Hands were freezing because <laughs> when I, when I yeah. took my hands, it get ice cold. And literally, Worried I went up there and delivered. Yeah, and I delivered. I was after nervous start, I delivered. Mm. And then I felt great. But that gave me the confidence. Then it asked me to come back the following year, do the opening keynote again. Oh, amazing. So I went out and then was like, right, I feel a bit more assured now. Yeah. And yeah. talking about my work with young people, this is before I set up mentivity. It actually gave me the kind of inspiration to go forward and take mm. the jump. Because I had enough, you know? So mm. again, you always give things a go. And out of those speeches... And the friends that I made from those conferences in Canada, they're like, say, it's time now. You've got to take the jump. Yeah. You've got to do it. Yeah. You know, like some of my biggest cheerleaders, I mean, they're great. Yeah. And I'm like, look, this is where I am now. Mm-hmm. You gave me that chance. So you always have to give things a go. And that's for, for me, you never know where it's going to take no, you. Definitely. You know, you could travel somewhere, you can meet. That's mm-hmm. why I like to travel. Yeah. You've got to get out there. You've got to put yourself out there and yeah. let people know what you're doing. Likewise, some of the most amazing people I've met came through traveling because at a young age me and my, my mates we decided to start traveling from a very very young age and mm-hmm. we, we ended up networking in essence we thought we were just making random friends but exactly. th- these are people we still talk to now these are people that exactly. opportunities have, have derived from because yeah. we kept these relationships going so mm-hmm. it's about also realizing that the world is bigger than your road your estate or your circle mm-hmm. of friends yeah. and and it's so much more enjoyable and it's so much more excitement and so much more to learn from the world yeah. than there is in your little community so exactly. it's just seeing beyond on that as well because mm-hmm. majority of these kids are trapped they're kind of like trapped they are in their little environment they yeah. are and, and it's again, only a fraction of what the world is yeah. and, and this is what we try to do we just really try to showcase what we're doing in our lives we mm. tell them we're not perfect but we let them know yeah we're travels we've yeah. done this we worked super hard this year mm-hmm. like in the summer I told the children after we went back from September um, in September mm. like, what do you do in the summer sis well I had a first week I chilled out pretty much then mm. I went to Barbados for two weeks at mm. Carnival then I went to yeah. um to um, Jamaica for a week with my son and my brother and mm-hmm. friends and then I came back stayed there for a week then I went to LA and Vegas mm. then I came back and I'm back to work a bit of mind blown by that yeah and they're like I'm just, I'll show them pictures yeah. like, yeah, this, I was here and mm. they're just like oh man yeah. and again it's just opening their, their, their yeah. minds and, you it's know, different level of inspiration horizon. isn't it yeah, yeah because I'm just like them you know I grew up I'm in their area mm. going you know in their school this mm. is my same area I'm still doing my work in the area yeah. and again you've got to showcase that you've got to give them that inspiration and you know it's not showing off anything like that. it's just mm-hmm. saying you know what this is what I enjoy this is one, another one of my passions. I'm doing what I'm passionate about. Yeah. And through doing this, this traveling, going to Canada, for example, has opened up the door for this project in, in Kenya that I'm going to next month. Mm. So I met someone fantastic there and they said, look, I really want to get you to Africa mm. to look at you know football projects. And yeah. I'm like, that's what I do. You know, I'm a good coach and you know, I've been, I played to a decent level. So now that's come up and that's four years down the line. Oh, wow. That's so amazing. if you understand, so yeah. again, it's, I will communicate this to young people and say, look, this is mm-hmm. what I'm doing. These are my targets. You know, I want to be a football agent, you know, within this time. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. I'm going to have the mentality school and I'm going to make these things these happen. These are the steps you're going to take to make it happen yeah. as well. and that's yeah. it. It's breaking yeah. it down. It's breaking it down right. as well. Yeah. And so they can see. And, you know, I will do my to-do list at the beginning of the week and my little spider charts and I'll go into school and say, look, these are my targets for the week for the kids. Mm. Like that all that stuff yeah like, <laughs> are you gonna yeah. get that done yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and literally today i was so happy today because yeah. within a week i got it all done, got it done. i was like that <laughs> yes i told the kids I said, yes i did it yeah and again it's being happy with that success even though it's a little bit mm-hmm. you know and th- them seeing that they're like oh cool yeah so now you know the year 11s that we worked with today we're gearing towards the gcse's mm-hmm. you know like you said 
looking at credit, looking at all this stuff, mm. post-16, going, you know, into education. What's going to be right for you? Mm. Is it going to be A-levels? Is it going to be B-tech? Is it going to be apprenticeship? Yeah. And it's just literally broadening the horizons and giving them that time, yeah. which they don't it, have. And I think some of them are actually that smart that they could actually be starting businesses at that age. But it's just realising their potential. Already. Yeah, because I mean, I think I started my first business when I was probably like, I think I was like 14 or so. Mm. I had a paper round job. And um, uh, uh, where I lived, uh, well, the guy who I worked for, he really liked me. And his brothers had about three or four corner shops locally as well. And he said, well, you can take up paper rounds with them as well if you want an additional money. Mm. I think I was getting about £15 a week for, per shop. So I was on my rollerblades running three paper rounds mm. before I went to school in the morning. Yeah. But then what I decided was, uh, well, it wasn't just what I decided, but it, re- it started becoming quite tiring and hard to run three of those operations simultaneously. Yeah. And I decided to um, sort of like franchise off one of the paper rounds <laughs> to one of my boys. And I was paying him £10, pound, yeah. but I had to deal with the corner shop. Yeah, 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 I was making it. money. I was telling him, look, um, my boy's going to come here. Yeah. Tell him you're only paying yeah. £10. Pound. <laughs> <laughs> truly, I was taking a little £5 on top of that. So it's that entrepreneurial mindset yeah. that kicked in from an early age it's and important. the opportunities that I had from me wanting to mm-hmm. get something done and, yeah. and, and, and push on from there. So definitely, like a lot of kids are quite, they're quite, they're quite, um, they, they go, they go vivid imagination. They go vast imagination, and they're quite, they're quite creative as well. well so it's I'm about harnessing that. Yeah. Again, it goes back to what I said. Mm. Like we lose that as adults, and mm. that's when life becomes very mundane. You yeah. always have to have dreams. Yeah. You always have to have targets. And I will continue. Like another one of my dreams is to play a musical instrument, playing yeah. a band. Yeah. That's what my dad. My yeah. dad has a band, but I wasn't interested in music mm. growing up. I was interested in football. So that's one of my targets, learn a language, mm. live in another country. You know, I've done that. I've, mm. you know, I've lived in the States, in DC for five months. Yeah. I've lived in the Republic of Ireland playing professional football. Mm. I've traveled to Romania to play football. Like, you know, and got myself a deal there, but things didn't work out. So it's just mm. setting those targets and just pushing those boundaries yourself. You know, mm. saying, right, I'm not in competition with anybody. You know, we tell young people, you don't get in competition with yourself. Mm. When you're running a race, you're doing 100 meters, you don't see people, the person that's looking to the left and the person to the right, mm. they're the ones that end up getting disqualified. Out yeah, of the lane. They don't yeah. finish. The one that looks and focuses at to the end and keeps that focus mm-hmm. is the one who finishes first. Mm. And it's a, the best, obviously, training technique, but they're focused. Yeah, so you're running a race with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what's important. And, you know, young people, they, they, they see these analogies and hear these analogies and like, right, yeah, yeah. This is, yeah, okay, cool. I'll get these guys. Yeah. And it's just giving them hope. Mm-hmm. You know, humans, we work best when we have hope. Most definitely. And yeah. that's what we're trying to instill. And when we've seen someone else achieve it, someone that kind of looks like us or, yeah. or, or speaks like us or mm-hmm. understands us, yeah. Yeah, it gives us that additional boost as well that if he can do Agreed. it, then, then there's no other way that I, I can't do it. Yeah. Um, one of the other interesting parts that, in terms of conversations that I've been having recently is um, like, so police relations within the community and having issues with people feeling like police are stereotyping them and they, they there's no relationship between the community. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is I've, I've been reading up a lot recently in regards to how Scotland managed to deal with their um, yes. issues and their violent crime. 2005. 2005, yeah. 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 And they, they brought in the violent crime unit. Yes. And in in order for that to, well it was quite wild the way they done it they literally brought all the top criminals all the leaders of all the gangs into one room so this was one of the first initial meetings that they um, mm. the local authorities had and they had the pictures on the walls with all the top gang members mm-hmm. and and um, all of the leaders and mm. all the hierarchies of the gangs in the room and they told them look you're in this room 
all your gang members, these are all the people within the community. You had all the dentists there, the local ice cream man, mm. the kebab shop man. Mm. They're like, we know who you guys are. We know what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to work with these people within the community to put a stop to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was a, it was a, um, it was sort of like a unified front within mm. the community and everyone partook and everyone participated. Mm. Everyone was involved in order to solve the crime. Mm. Now they hardly have any crime. Mm -hmm. It's because the community stepped up and yeah. the community actively took part in, in reducing the crime. So if you went to the dentist, for instance, and they realised that your tooth got punched out and mm. it didn't fall out naturally, mm. they'll quickly write a report, mm. hand it over, and you knew you couldn't do nothing because mm. there's a picture of you on the wall. So yeah. it's like a community thing in order for that to happen. But mm. that, that's, that's really difficult within our community to... to to implement something like that because mm. people always say oh how how was the issue in scotland resolved it was resolved because it was a collaborative effort mm -hmm. for it to be resolved mm -hmm. but it, this goes back to what we were discussing earlier on as well in terms of like our culture and our relationship with law and enforcement mm. is how do we bridge that gap between us and not us per se but between people that are partaking in criminal activities and and the law and the community First and foremost, I think the police, the problem with the police is that they always come in at the end of the spectrum when it comes to, mm. you know, negativity. It's always at, it's a negative end. Like a movie, like yeah, an action yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's always at the end when something yeah. has happened. Yeah. So obviously it's pretty reactive. Mm -hmm. You look at someone like the fire service and the ambulance, because they're not actually enforcing the law, they're actually helping people, mm. you know, but you don't see firefighters driving up and down mm. the, 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 the streets looking for fires. That's and true. again, you look at the police, it's like they're looking for trouble. They're mm. looking for... Sometimes mm. they get it right. No problem. That's not... You've got to go off your intuition. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. But for me, you're, you're instigating a lot of issues within the community because you're coming at the end of the spectrum. How you treat people, you mm. know, when it comes to stop and search. You know, I've been stopped and searched so many times, even in my vehicle, you know, like always searching. Well, most recently? Not so much recently. Yeah. I think I'm getting a bit... bit on, I'm getting older yeah. now, but... I think also with the car that you drive and I've got a hatchback now, whereas mm. I had a, a saloon before, mm. you know, BMW looked at it a bit, bit more, you know, mm. like, okay, he, he should be in that car. Yeah. But, you know, when you're driving like a Golf and A3 and stuff like that, they might look at you and think, right, let mm. me uh, let me check this out. But I rarely get stopped now. But mm. when I have, get, have been stopped, it's like they're talking down to me. I'm like, no, first and foremost, mm. have some respect. Mm. Two, you need to let me know. You're working for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I pay taxes, mm -hmm. but I need to know why you're stopping me. Mm -hmm. What did I do that warranted me being stopped? Mm. And they talked to me in a certain way, but before, I used to really kind of take a hard, aggressive line with police officers mm. because I didn't like them mm. from a young age and I was assaulted by a police officer mm. for no reason uh, other than being on the train. He asked me to come off at the age of 14. I said, yeah. no, I'm not going to come off until you tell me what I've supposedly done. Mm. If you can tell me what I've supposedly done, I will come off and have a conversation with you. Mm. And I literally said this at 14. And he mm. said, right, he grabbed me off the train, assaulted me twice, with crunching in my abdomen, yeah. handcuffed me, dragged me up the stairs. And from then I was like, can't stand police. Yeah. Didn't like authority anyway. Mm. So that took me about 15 years to get over that. Like literally, when I got stopped by police, it was like, what would you want? Like mm. being aggressive, being that, that stereotype. Mm. So now, it's like, you know what? How's it going, Gaffer? You are, mm. are you, are you, you doing? know how to deal with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, mm. what do you stop me for? I, I'm just trying to understand that. I've got somewhere to be, but, mm -hmm. you know, let me know. And we'll have that conversation. And But the thing is, sometimes you can have that conversation, mm. but when you have a negative experience, mm. yeah, it gets rid of all the good before. That's yeah. just human nature. So when you have one negative experience with a mm. police officer, you automatically tar them all with the same brush because... Obviously, they've been proven to be institutionally racist. That's mm. that's how it is. Mm. However, 
they're not trying to build relations, you know, within schools. Mm. Yes, they have on-site police officers, but what are you actually doing to build relations with your community? Mm-hmm. Whereas before, it was a lot different. You have, you know, Bobby's on the beat. You would know their name. They'll talk to you. Yeah. Like, what are you guys doing on the street? Yeah. You better not be doing anything. Yeah. So, like, oh, all right, cool. See <laughs> Call them by their tag yeah, name as well. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was like before. And it was actually, there was an interest, there was a human aspect there. Mm. But now it's just like, oh, I'm superior because I've got this badge on and mm. I'm a police officer and yeah. I'm more intelligent than do, you. Do you also think they're affected by what they see in the media as well and their portrayal of, of, yeah. Of course. That's so that has an impact as in how they act. Yeah. But the thing is, is that, yes, it is dangerous and it is difficult to be a police officer. Mm. However, you need to be a people person because mm-hmm. you're dealing with people. Mm. And if you can't do that, then it's not the right job for you. Mm. And and that's the problem. Like when I see, sometimes I'll be going, driving by and I'll see a, a, a child getting stopped and searched by police. I'll stop. Mm. I'll stand there. Oh, you can't stand there. Yes, I can. Mm. I just want to see that everything's, you know, being it's above board, you know, talking with respect and make sure that young person is dealing with himself accordingly. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. And I think we need to do more of that in the community yeah. and, you know, challenge police to be a little bit better, but in an elegant way. Most definitely. Not, that, that's the yeah. part I was waiting for, yeah. yeah. And yeah. A, again, uh, for me, like I went to a, a community meeting where the police were talking about stop and search and she was talking that it was a very optimistic approach to stop and search. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know where you've seen this being implemented, <laughs> but this is not happening now. Personal they've been stopped and to search. Sorry, before. yeah, you're so far away from this because yeah. I've been stopped and I've been spoken to in a certain way mm. and I've been handcuffed for no reason mm. other than that they're just taking me at face value as a stereotypical black person. Mm. Not that, you know what, what do you do in the community? Oh, yeah, I work, I have a business. Mm. Oh, what do you do? It's not taking you at face value, it's not human. And I don't like the approach that they have. Mm. So they need to really work on that mm. and also have other initiatives that help young people not you know the tokenistic stuff and like I'm talking long term mm-hmm. you know investment in your communities mm. rather than saying oh we need more police in the street that's why we've got more crime no that's not it no definitely that's not, not. it mm-hmm. so it's deeper rooted issues it's a it? hard job it's I'm not gonna yeah. because police obviously they mm-hmm. do it, they do do a lot of good and we can't dismiss that and obviously they're doing it to the best of their ability and obviously, they need to look at their CPD for, for mm-hmm. police officers in terms of that and diversity training and whatever it may be. Because for me, your your workforce should be reflective of, of the community you serve. Yeah. When you've got, you know, police officers coming from outside of London to... They don't understand the culture. That's that's similar to teaching as well, when you have teachers precisely. coming from absolutely nowhere and then teaching in inner city of London yeah. and they just completely don't get the yeah. culture. Mm. Yeah. Totally agree with you, and that's a, that's a major issue. Is that it's, it's square pegs and round holes. Mm. Now, if you're not open and be, I'm not saying it's impossible, but if you're not receptive to being outside your comfort zone and saying, right, mm. let me approach my teaching style, dif- let me approach my methods dif- mm. differently, let me be a different type of person, let me mm. be invested in these young people, ask them how they're doing, yeah. rather than being so directive and being abrupt and whatever it may be. It's hard because mm. teachers are under a lot of pressure. It's a fine balance, but I've seen some phenomenal teachers. Yeah who literally just give respect to young people. Mm-hmm. And because of that respect, these young people will do anything in that classroom. Them, yeah. And again, it just comes back to the basic principles that we said in the beginning. These are basic principles that we seem to forget that adults believe that they should command respect from an adult rather than giving respect to a young person mm. and then getting it back. Mm. When I work with young people, I give them that respect until they give me a bit of disrespect. Yeah. And I can give it back to them. Yeah. You know, I'm from the end. Yeah, I, can, yeah. I can give it to you. you I, can, I can cuss you I yeah. can, uh, and, and make you feel stupid. Yeah. That's not a problem. We used to do that every day at school. That mm. is my culture. Mm. However, they know once they've tried to cross that boundary and you check them, mm-hmm. they're not going to do that again. Yeah. yeah and, they, and they have that respect. And again, it's just having clear boundaries. Adults need clear boundaries. All relationships 
whether they're you know with your your wife your 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 colleague they at work need they to be all boundaries, you know? had all based around boundaries and that's mm-hmm. what i've realized now you know in my in my mid-30s that yeah. it's about boundaries and it's so clear you know like with my son he knows there's certain things that he can and cannot do because mm-hmm. i'm not going to accept it and if he does that he knows that there's going to be consequences, consequences yeah. so again it goes back to the boundaries so i feel that boundaries in so many different settings when we talk about the police we talk about teaching we talk about working young people it's about having those clear boundaries mm-hmm. and saying you've got to work within those boundaries as a means to flourish yeah if you don't then you're going to be open to anything. So everyone just needs better education, don't they? So like yeah. in terms of like how to go about, so the police need to understand how how the community sees them and then how they can sort of like better that relationship with the community. Yeah. And then the community needs to also understand that in order to not get the best out of the police, but in order to deal with them, there's a certain there's a certain aspect of your character, there's certain behaviours mm-hmm. that you need to you need to address. Yep. Yeah, in yep. order for them not to just. Do you know what I mean? Treat you yeah. as if you're just any other stereotype, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, my brother, you know, in, when we had the panorama stuff, he, he spoke about empathy mm. and how, how important empathy is, like, and it's about understanding how people feel mm. in certain situations. Once you can understand how people feel mm-hmm. in certain situations, then you know how to act accordingly. Yeah. You know, if you know that something you're going to do, say, for example, you're married, you know that if you go out and buy that convertible and go home, mm. your wife's going to be upset. <laughs> you know, and you know the reason why, mm. if you know your wife, then you're not going to do it because mm. you understand. You're empathizing with, you know, your wife because yeah. you won't do that certain thing. And it's the same thing working with people. If I'm going to go out and hurt somebody, mm. imagine that was someone in my family. Yeah, Actually, I don't want to do this. I don't need to carry this knife. I don't need to do this. I don't need to be in this gang. Mm. And I don't need to exploit this person. And I think it's, that's what we're going so far away from. We're going away from community. We've gone away from community. And it's all about self. Yeah. Self-preservation. Because that's what happens in inner cities. And this is the problem. Like, you go outside of London, it's a lot different. It's a completely different ballgame. You know? yeah. Even though the problems are spreading, but these, this phenomenon is kind of very, very uh, restricted to city mm. and urban areas. And you go anywhere in the world, the cities are not designed to keep people together. Yeah. It's about yourself. It's mm-hmm. about getting what you can. It's pretty much survival, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, about so working it's towards... Jungle, yeah, right? yeah, that's it. And mm. it's pre- it, it, it's essentially that. Mm. And that is a, a, a major issue. But, you know, that's why it's important to, to detach and do the things that you enjoy. Yeah. Read, you know, work out, whatever yeah. it may be, because that's your time. Meditate, all that stuff. Mm. You need to do that stuff because... We weren't designed to be in these spaces. Yeah. You know, we are best when we're out and we're free. Most definitely. You know, and that's when your mind is free. And that's why, going back to the traveling, why mm. I think that a lot of people that travel end up then taking a lot more risks in life. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Because they they would do that, you mm-hmm. know, traveling. Like, oh, you know what? I was in a favela in Brazil. Mm. Just walking through. It was really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And people were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it was okay, casual. Was like, nah. kids running yeah, around yeah. big guns, it but it was yeah, casual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was all good. And it, they, they, they thought I was one of them. Yeah. No problem. So I think that, again, it's about taking those calculated risks based on, you know, pushing those boundaries again mm-hmm. and, you know, taking that leap. So, I think that's really, really important. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so my, my parents, are, they, they, they run a radio station. Um, and um, when the whole knife crime epidemic kicked off, they, they had two radio shows. And um, I came on as a guest on there, mm-hmm. as a guest speaker. Mm-hmm. And we had an interesting caller, actually. And this caller said that the current generation that, that's engulfed in all this beef and stuff that's happening we should write them off. They're a complete write-off. Mm. So that's what the person said. They go, the, the only way this issue can be resolved is if we start dealing with it internally as a community from now, taking the younger ones who are yet to get involved in the whole um, beef. But 
I thought it was, it, was, it was harsh on one end, but then I could see where the individual was coming from because how do we go about changing the mind state of people who are deeply involved, people who have had losses mm. and are now trying to sort of rectify those by taking revenge on their supposed enemies and stuff? Like, how do we deal with those individuals? Because they're deep in it and it's, it's, mm. it's, 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 it's a psychological thing, it's a mental thing, mm. it's, a, it's a physical thing. They, they're going through so much. Yeah, I mean, you can't. You can't, I'll be honest, you can't... Um change people that don't want to be changed and, and that's the, the the first rule of, of our work if a young person doesn't engage in the whole process then it's pointless like we'll we'll say to a school like this young person is not interested they're not engaging mm. we're going to leave it for now and re revisit it later yeah the thing is i agree there's certain people that you just have to write off mm. you know there's certain young people unfortunately I've spoken to them for years. I'm talking eight, nine years. Wow. I've known them a long time. I've coached them at football. I've worked at their schools. I see them in the community. I know their parents. Yeah. And anytime I see them, I talk to them. What's going on with you now? Were you kicking ball? You're not kicking ball. We you up to now? I see you on the street last night yeah. about two o'clock. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. That wasn't me. Yeah, it was you. No, it was you. <laughs> and it's just literally, yeah. when people don't want to be changed, mm -hmm. yeah, like it's not going to happen. Mm. again it's, it comes from within if you decide you want to make a change then you make that apparent to people then people are going to assist you with that mm. change that you're making and it, it has to come from within so yes to a certain degree you have to write off some people because that's wasted energy that energy you're putting into that person you could put half of that energy into another person you and make, they make a complete those change yeah so for me it's about you know being honest with yourself and saying right can i help this person mm -hmm. Are they helping themselves? No? Okay, let me revisit it. There are some that you know, you know if you're consistent, yeah. you're going to keep knocking that door, that door's going to open one day. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of those young people, there's certain times I leave young people and I've had a meeting, I'm like, this guy just yeah, doesn't have yeah. Literally, go, oh, I'm going to go to the gym tonight. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally, and you know, you talk yeah. about saying, your soul's like, what's wrong with this kid? Mm. And you know, and you, you take it home because you want the best for them. You can see their path mm. because of the experience we have in this field. And you don't mm. want them to go there because you know they're not about this life. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, a lot of these young people, as I said, they just want to be seen to be a part of it. Mm. Yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah he follows me on Instagram. Yeah. Nah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I've got about 8,000 followers. How many of those followers do you actually know, though? Mm. How many of them actually care about it? Right, you? exactly. Yeah. And, and that, that is it. But, you know, young people just want to be accepted. Mm. Um, and that is the key thing. But, you know, we want to accept people and work with young people that want to make the change yeah and if they don't want to make the change and they're too far gone unfortunately it's going to be a wake-up call but we can't help you with that yeah but if, I, I see what you're saying but the dangers in that is those that we do write off they're the ones that will end up causing harm to the kids that we're trying you're trying to solve them to a certain degree because yeah. if you're work if you're if, if what you're doing is working with the kids as a preventative measure mm. then it won't be in that situation okay so if you understand yeah. so it's about picking your battles mm. you know i'm not saying i give up on young people yeah. but there's some young people that you just know mm. you know um, unfortunately um incognito who was part of the moscow 17 i've known him you know for a long time you know mm. he recently stabbed wasn't he he, he, he yeah. was killed yeah. um yeah on the brandon estate um mm. less than three months after raheem yeah and the fact of the matter is is that unfortunately he made certain decisions in his life and he was a great kid very mm. intelligent very articulate came across him after you know not seen him for years mm. and it was nothing but love and respect yeah then i found out about you know kind of things that he was involved in and i was, mm. I was like 
can't even believe that you know mm. I didn't get to I didn't know this stuff before so I couldn't challenge him yeah and unfortunately he's gone now but there just comes a point where people have just gone past the point of no return mm. and once you realize that it's, it's dangerous yeah. to continue but, but living within that community so when the other kids see what's happened to their friends how do they react because i know there's 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 one hand the individuals who react angrily and wanting to take revenge mm. but what's the what's the majority of consensus around to be honest they're so caught up in it mm. that uh, you know the rap blah blah and then they keep it moving it's like it doesn't desensitize to the whole thing yeah, yeah, yeah. it is like even yeah. but you know one of the children was like yeah i saw you on the documentary and i saw uh, raheem's body but i wanted to see his face serious i'm like you're 11 why did you want to see his face? Yeah. And again, it's because, mm-hmm. you know, as I said before, fantasy reality, like they can't make clear, a clear partition between mm-hmm. them. They can't, you know, they're playing these games, Fortnite, all this stuff. They're mm-hmm. shooting, they're killing, seeing this graphic stuff. They mm-hmm. go on YouTube, they can see people dying and mm-hmm. things like that. It's become, it's become normal. Else, yeah. So it's just like, all right, we accept it. And again, mm-hmm. their developing minds are dealing with it in such a different way than the, than the adult would. Yeah. And it, it puts them into a, a false sense of reality, yeah. I believe. And, you know, it's it's very tough for them. It is very tough. Um, it's, it's a fine balance. Um, but again, you have to pick your battles. You have to know that, you know what? Mm-hmm. This kid's responding to me just a little bit. Yeah. By turning up here, that's... You know that you he's know, on yeah. it, yeah. But if you're, you know, you're consistently asking a child, come, I've got a trial for you at the, this football club, or I've got this, and they just don't, engage and you're trying to work with them you're trying to do whatever you can yeah unfortunately like it's just it comes a point where your energy is best served elsewhere which is yeah and and the harsh reality of it all mm, yeah yeah. and it is heartbreaking sometimes because you feel like you know when things happen to 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 young people that are very close to myself you know like raheem you know i always feel like i could have done more yeah um but then people look at it and you know that that know the situation i say you did all you could like Mm. what what else could you have done and unfortunately for him, is that the change that he was making in his life was just it's far too late. Mm. Um, he made a lot of decisions. He made a lot of wrong decisions. He made some good decisions too. Mm. But, you know, that that came back to haunt him. And, you know, I'm dealing with that. I'm still very close to his mom and trying yeah. to help her through that and his little sister. And, you know, people don't really see the fallout from it and understand, you know, and that's why the documentary was really good because it showed the other side. Yeah. It didn't glamorize it. Mm-hmm. And that was the only reason I agreed to be a part of it because yeah. I wanted to tell his story and we wanted to tell it in more depth, mm-hmm. but we'll do that for our own channels yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he wasn't a saint. He didn't, to my knowledge, hurt anybody. Mm. And I wasn't aware of that. And he had a good heart. And when he was with me, nothing but respect. Mm. You know, we brought up such a good relationship that, you know, he was going to work, start working with Mentivity. Mm. He was working with us at our football club. Oh, wow. He wanted to be an architect. So he would just finish getting his CSCS card then he was going to go into an apprenticeship mm. and we'd taken him down to one of the parents that works at that um the, whose son plays for our team he's got an architecture firm so we took him down there with two other boys mm. and literally you saw him just like this is what i want to do yeah because he saw that's when the eyes open to the world doesn't yeah it? he saw and the, the budgets and all this stuff and that and that's why he was like yeah we came up from jamaica he's like says mm. this is what i'm doing mm. i'm like rolling with these guys they're snakes mm. i'm realizing now and i'm causing myself a lot of problems mm. i just want to roll with you Tyson and Leon and just start working and you know just make these strides in my life and you know now that he's gone like for me I don't want anyone to ever forget who he was and who he was trying to be yeah and and that is you know massively important to me because he showcased so many traits that I identified with you know his birthday was 
six days before mine. Like he's a Scorpio mm. as well, very defiant. He yeah. just reminded me of me as a, yeah, that child at that age. Know. And when I met him at eight, mm. you know, he was literally me. Like he mm. had no fear. I, I never had any fear. Like I would do things if I wanted to do mm. it, like without fear. And I wanted to harness that. And I don't think he knew how powerful he could have been mm. and how influential and how successful he could have been in so many different ways. Yeah. Even with the music, he had a talent for that, but mm. he was in the wrong area. Mm-hmm. And I, I w- wanted to challenge him and say to him, right, let's talk about it more positively. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the negative situation, but in a more positive ma- manner, which brings light yeah. to the situation. And you know, that's what I was trying to do with him. But there's limited time. You think the music is... Um, playing a, well, before I get into the music, um, you did touch on one part when you took Raheem to an architecture firm and he and his eyes opened yeah. up to what could possibly be. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people within our community are not doing enough of that, and that's what we need to be doing a lot more. People like yourself, people mm. like me, and people out there that are actually actively doing stuff and are involved in the world and mm. are seeing opportunities. We need to open up the eyes of the younger ones mm-hmm. who are not sort of exposed to those opportunities because yep. sometimes they don't even know he exists like they, no. hear, they hear all these various like mm. locations and and different skill sets and jobs but they don't mm. actually know what they look like tangibly they yep. can't actually picture it exactly so it's about going back into the community and showcasing that look besides what you're seeing here locally mm-hmm. this is what's out there in the world mm. these are some of the opportunities that are out there yeah. for you yeah. you say you want to be an architect but you know what an architecture firm looks like you know what I mean? You know what the job actually entails. You know the steps to take to get there. Do you know the steps it takes to get there? And that's what we need to be doing more of. Yeah. It's creating that visual pathway. Mm. It's saying, right, this is where you are now. At the end of the spectrum, at the beginning of the spectrum, should I say, these are the journey, these are the points that you need to go past. Yeah. And you may have to take a detour and go around or yeah. take a step yeah. back. You're going to take a few hits and bumps about, along the yeah. way. Mm. So once they see that and they're like, right, this is actually possible. Mm. Like success at this stage, then the next stage, then the yeah. next stage. And that is what is key, and you know, creating that kind of visual pathway so they can actually feel like it's tangible and that it's achievable. Yeah. And as you said, not a lot of people are doing that in the community mm-hmm. because I didn't know what it was going to take to be a professional football player. I just realised that quickly that I needed to work hard, yeah. and I just everything was geared towards that, mm-hmm. you know. And then when I wanted, you know, my coaching, I wanted to be the best coach I could be. So mm-hmm. it was about going on as many courses as I yeah. could when I was at Southwark and learning from other coaches mm-hmm. and putting myself consistently outside my comfort zone. So, mm. you know, I'm a competent coach now where I can coach any sport. You know, it's not about what I coach. You know, I can coach, mm. I know how to coach. So I know the coaching formulas and it yeah. works for me. So once you give these young people these tools and equip them, then they're going to be able to flourish. Yeah. Like, uh, there's no other... Definitely. Yeah. And I think one of the things they need to we need to really reiterate as well is like delayed gratification because a lot of young people, they feel like they want everything now. Mm-hmm. Like they want to be successful now. Like, mm-hmm. what do you know about running a household at the age of 18 but they want to buy mansions they talk yeah, about yeah. mansions mm-hmm. fast cars and yeah. living all this lifestyle yeah. they need to understand that sometimes like they, they the work that take that goes into it mm-hmm. it takes a while in order mm-hmm. for you to see the fruits of your labor yeah. so you need to delay that gratification that mm-hmm. everything that you're seeing in the media and mm-hmm. everything you're seeing on social media and so forth mm-hmm. is, is what you said was microwave society mm-hmm. and sometimes you need to put in that work to really get to that position you need to get to and it's not going to happen overnight yeah. so delayed gratification is like one thing that i think is key that we need to really push into these young people's like you're only 18 bro chill like do you do you know what a mansion is do you even know what mortgage is yeah. let alone one in ten mansions at the age of 18 yeah, like, yeah. yeah it just doesn't work like that yeah it's yeah. like you know working with some young people that are difficult find it difficult education and they do one task like yeah i've done it i'm like okay great yeah what's next yeah like what, what do you want yeah. you want a medal like yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is what you should be yeah. doing yeah. and it's what you should be doing and it's, it's very very important 
to, to let them know that you know and for me we say to the young people all good things take time most definitely all good things take that's time. really important to push yeah. and you know and unless they understand that from early you know and another one of our sayings is invest in yourself and you will be paid mm. not you know in financial terms mm. but through success that will come later mm. like all the times i when i was young i focused on money focused on money and never got money yeah, I never acquired that money. I completely understand that. When yeah. I didn't focus on it, and which I'm not do now, mm-hmm. I'm living okay. Yeah, like I'm not, you know, I'm not yeah. got a big massive house. Yeah. I don't own a house yet, or mm-hmm. whatever maybe. But that's the next step for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm 35, and I've got to the point where mm-hmm. money's not the be all and end all, which mm-hmm. it always was because I didn't have it. Yeah. Now I'm like, yeah. I always cool. tell people focus on g- g- like delivering a service. Focus on doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like focus on focus on the the actual process instead of the money. Because when you mm-hmm. focus on the money, you're never gonna get there, and your mind is always going to be swayed and always going to be That's moved, it. and you're gonna get easily demoralized That's by whatever it. you're doing because you're focusing on, on the money, on the money, and the, the but not on the actual look. service. And then the pressure is crazy. But um, before we before we cut this podcast, can you tell me some of the work that's coming up in terms of um, mentivity? What 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 you got coming up, and what is it that you want the people to know in regards to the work that you're doing and the work you're coming to? So, I mean, in terms of mentivity, we're, we're just really going through a major period of expansion at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we have set up a community interest company, which will then uh, kind of help what we're doing with mentivity. So that we set up uh, in Raheem's name, pretty much. Amazing. So Raheem's yeah. the full name was, was Raheem Ainsworth Barton. Mm-hmm. So we've set up the CIC, the community interest company called Reaching Above Boundaries. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a logo, which is one of the pictures of him. Um, which you know that will be soon. So then we can start drawing in money from from you know the government and mm-hmm. other funding streams to be able to supplement the work that we're doing with mentivity. Yeah. So that's the the major development. So we're focusing on that at the moment, and then it's just securing you know formalized partnerships with some of our other schools mm-hmm. um, and academy um, uh, groups. So that's what we're really trying to do at the moment. And you know we're acquiring more staff. We've got another two members of staff starting mm-hmm. in the next couple of weeks. By the end of the year, I believe we'll be up to about 15 members of staff, oh, probably about 20 schools. Yeah. Um, and again, we are planning to do a, school, a schools tour mm-hmm. in conjunction uh, with Mandem on the Wall, on the Wall of Comedy. Oh, yeah. So we're just having discussions about that. That'll be next year. Um, we're also formalising a partnership with Goldman Sachs in oh. terms of our, um, their Goldman Sachs Gives kind of community teamworks program. Mm. So we delivered one at Warworth Academy in June of this year, and it was mm. a major success. Oh, that's good um, stuff. The Goldman Sachs staff that were there, you know, a lot of them were predominantly American and, you know, black, African, Caribbean, mm. and they were just like, this is the best one we've ever d- ever done, you know, mm. like we really enjoyed ourselves. So we, we, we've signed up to do at least four of those per year with Goldman Sachs. Um, and in terms of, as I said, acquiring funding, it's, again solidifying what we're doing mm-hmm. to make sure that we're here for years to come um and that we you know get the school in the next couple mm. of years um the plan is also is to expand mentivity over the next 18 months to you know other countries mm. um once we you know we're nearly london wide we're in south london yeah. we're in east london we're in north but yeah. we're not in west yet so okay. west is Need the to up west as well, so yeah. we'll get west yeah. um but we'll get there soon um but nothing before it's time so we're just working really really hard to keep mm. progressing to bring this service to more people i'm just trying to grow this you know family of mentors and you know people yeah. that are working towards you to help young people to just go forwards and that's my, my main passion and you know i believe that this can be replicated in the states yeah so when i'm in new york i'm gonna be doing a bit of research out there um again 
going to Africa, the Caribbean. You know, they we, we had discussions with someone about doing the same thing in in Jamaica. So we're just really trying to expand and get this whole concept out there, mm-hmm. and you know, get you know, mentivity, his philosophy, and, and approach to young people, and yeah. giving them a chance and hope in society, and giving them the tools to succeed. So that's where we're trying to go, and we will get there. Um, Amazing for, for sure. And um, yeah, I've got a fantastic team of people, you know, working you know diligently every day, and mm. you know, going above and beyond, and that's what it's about. And um, yeah, I feel that we're we've already created quite a legacy but we mm. want this to be a legacy for years to come that yeah. people can be like you know mentality kind of changed the way that we educated yeah. that's the impact people. it had in the society and, and the that's, that's, yeah. so, so a lot of developments and there'll be a lot more things um there's a few more kind of kind of press things coming up for me like mm. so i'm just trying to really promote mentality and get us out there and yeah. try and help kind of reduce this level of violence within our communities and bridge those gaps where we need to. So mm-hmm. that's what's on the, the agenda for for mentality. Yeah. Well, Seishu, you're you're actually a true inspiration, man. I mean, this this I'm, I'm not even being funny. There, this is the first time meeting you, and obviously hearing yeah. about the good work you're doing within yeah. the community and stuff. So I'm definitely going to be an advocate for your work, and I'm going to push it wherever I do go. And if there's any contacts that I have along the way, Appreciate I'll it. definitely be forwarding your your way. And um, I'd love to have you on another time as well, and we'll be discussing other things going into sort of like the music side of things, and, and just just generally having a chit chat. So it's been My an pleasure. absolute pleasure having you on as part of like yeah. your introduction to Let's Do Humans. Was more in the introduction yeah. <laughs> it, it ended up going for longer than I expected yeah. but it's been truly um, it's the, the content's extremely valuable I and it. it's, it's stuff it's conversations that we need to be having as a Agreed. community especially amongst ourselves as yeah. young men within that community mm-hmm. we need to be we need to be progressively pushing out positive content and having these positive discussions and conversations in order to better ourselves and our people so totally it's been an absolute pleasure so yeah, yeah. Sage, it's Thank been you, a blessing appreciate it yeah appreciate that no that was that was amazing